Hey guys, this is Pastor Josh from Fresh Church. We are so excited that you are joining us for our podcast today. I do want to tell you that we pray at Fresh Church that you would get involved in the local church in your city. The Bible says that those that plant themselves in the house of the Lord will flourish. And a podcast and an online experience, a YouTube uh, sermon is amazing, but it does not replace the local church, the hope of the world, the community, the family that God has placed all of us in. And so we hope you find that and we hope you enjoy this message today. Hey, yeah, you guys can can grab your seats. Um, man, it's an honor to to be here. This is my first time in Nashville. We're we're in Nashville right now, right? Yeah. I just don't know. I know there's all little cities everywhere and um but it's an honor to be here. Um love this house. Love your pastors. Um got to have some some dinner last night, and if this is your first time at Fresh Church, um, I'm glad you came to be here. Can we show our, our new friends some love, Fresh Church? Uh, my name's Josh. Like uh, our man said, I hail from the great state of Washington, born and raised in Washington State, and uh, it's humid down here, bro. It's bone dry where I come from. Thank you, Jesus. And... Um, just real glad to be here. Um, thank you so much, uh, music team, for um, setting the, the stage. Um, what you guys do matters, and it's important. And this is not part of my message, but I just so I'm so thankful for teams that serve to make weekends happen. Um, just week in, week out, and you guys are grinding um, so that we can come uh, be together, gather in a weekend like this, and just be in the presence of God together. There's something special about the gathering of the believers. Listen, you don't need to be at church to experience the presence of God. Thank God that we now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we're presence carriers. That being said, there is just the gathering is irreplaceable. It is not the only thing. To say that, that you have to be in church to love Jesus is incomplete, theologically inaccurate. But, but it is such a huge part of who we are and what we do in Hebrews reminds us, the writer of Hebrews reminds us not to forsake the gathering like some have become, they've gotten in the habit of doing. Because um, I love devotional time. I love spending time in the presence of God on my own. But there is something so unique and special about gathering with people who are all at different parts of their process and their walk with God. Hey. Some of you, may, like maybe you're in the room and you just like, you're not sure about God, you're on the fence, maybe you hate God, and, and I'm glad that you're here. Some of you, you've been walking with God since you were wearing diapers, like you don't remember a time where you were not involved in a church, and how beautiful is it that we all get to gather together, where at the foot of the cross we are all the same, we are just people who desperately need the grace of God at work in our lives. And so I don't know where you find yourself. You know, pastors say that. I don't know what you came in here carrying. But I, I, that's like, it's the line, you know. But I don't know where you find yourself um, in your walk with Jesus. Maybe it's on the front end. Maybe, maybe it's been a while and you need some refreshing. That's like a season where you just need a drink of water. So thankful. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. But the worship leader, this ministry moment, um, talking about that. The, the name Yahweh that was too holy to even, it was like 
he who must not be named. <laughs> it was like, we don't, we don't say that around here, but I, I, but I love that, that, that it, it was just breath. And it was so fantastic to hear you say that because as I was praying in the hotel room this morning, I was like, God, what do you, what do you, what do you want to do here for Fresh Church? And I felt like he was like, I just, I just want him to breathe in. Like, I just, I just want to give him just a breath of fresh air. And I've been, you know, I come from a church called Genesis Church that we planted almost nine years ago. Um, I was 25 years old and single. And uh, I don't recommend that, <laughs> planting a church. Um, but almost nine years in, and so I know what it's like to, to get into a place where you're just so busy doing church and doing Christianity that it's like, wait a second, where did God go? You know what I mean? And like we have the best of intentions in our walk with God and we have the best of intentions. Here's what I believe about, about every person in this room is that at some level you have a desire to know God deeper. But life is crazy and it's busy and it's fast paced and you got responsibilities and you got kids and your boss is breathing down your neck and, and, and there's something in you that desires more and you come in and it's easy to come in on weekends and, and sing songs and just feel like, but God, I feel like there's just got to be something deeper and there's got to be something more. And God, I feel like, like, like there's got to be more than just this motion and this activity and this action. And I feel like the Lord would say, would say yes. And, and, and this morning, I feel like I came here on assignment to just help you breathe a little bit. So I'm usually like yelly guy and like I come from a church that just hollers at its preacher and like freaks people out. They're like, what is happening in this church? <laughs> um, but I almost, I just, I don't know how much I'm gonna yell. I feel like if, if I could give this message an emotion or an adjective rather, I feel like it would just be a whisper. We, we live in a world that has got so much noise that I love how God will come on the flip side. And like when the world is quiet and needs direction, God comes in like a mighty rushing wind. And then there are times where everything is so noisy and loud that God's like, hey, hey over here, come on. And I just feel like in a culture that is so just loud and noisy and everything's shouting at us and there's commercials and we're getting marketed to and we're getting notifications and we're getting, that God's like, just, shh, shh, just breathe. So I'm thankful for that ministry moment. To, to, to breathe is to declare God's glory. Your breath is his breath. He animated humanity with his breath. Created you with his word and animated you with his breath. Your very, your very DNA and being is infused with the breath of God. And you carry the glory of God and the presence of God in you. So I'm thankful for lights and hazers and sound machines. And I'm gonna, we're going to use all of it. But ain't no light ever took somebody from death to life, from brokenness to wholeness, from captivity to freedom. And so here's what I know, and here's what I know about your pastors, and here's what I believe about this church is that, 
Everybody on this team would say, you could take all the stuff if it means one person would come to know Jesus and come from death to life. If one person here today could just be refreshed and just, 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 just experience the breath of God. And so I got a simple message for you today, a short message from Luke. And I'm just praying and believing that it's refreshing for you. church on fire. I love this. I love the heart in this season of your church is that if you're not on fire on the inside, like what are we even doing? I mean, I'm, I'm just a, a kid from the Northwest and so what I, what I believe about Nashville, it's like people who live in a different country, when they think of California, they only think of Beverly Hills. You're like, but what about Sacramento? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so my idea of Nashville is like everybody's a worship leader and everybody's a, a, a musician and a star. And so, so what Nashville doesn't need and what America doesn't need is another really dialed production. And, and I'm not, I hear my heart, I'm not against that. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the whole picture. It's just not complete. That that in a day and age where hype and, and fluff and production is a dime a dozen, what, what people need is, is people on fire. And what the world needs is people who are experiencing the transformative work of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. They need people whose, whose lives are completely and totally dependent upon the saving grace of Jesus Christ that's only available at the cross. But you can't get when you turn on the VMAs. I don't know what's hot in the streets. Do people watch the VMAs anymore? I don't know. I grew up in the 90s. I'm not sure. But that's what, what they need is they need you. And they need you. And, and they need you. And you and everybody sitting in these chairs to, to be so on fire in your soul that nothing can stop you from proclaiming the name of Jesus with your life with your mindsets, your attitudes, your habits, your thought patterns. and It's really easy to lose all that stuff in the motions, isn't it? It's really easy to lose the fire when you feel like you're trying to create it. And I went through a season in my life where it was, we were about seven years into our church and I just, I just broke. I was on vacation with my wife. We took a cruise. Um, I'm married, by the way. I forgot to tell you about my wife. She's fantastic. Been married almost four years. We have two kids, a two and a half year old son and a nine month old daughter, Solomon and Ruth, and they are just the best humans and I miss them. And I don't love traveling because I miss my family, but I love this house, so. But I was on vacation with my wife and I didn't realize how much I had just been doing Christianity until we were sitting in the Bahamas and so just sitting there, I was in the sand and my feet were in the water and I just like broke, I just like started bawling and I'm like, what is happening to me? Like, where is this coming from? And I realized that, that, that what was happening is, is all of that seven years worth of pushing and grinding and like trying to push the ball across the goal line and like, but there's people who need to know Jesus. And just, you know, freaking just pushing and yelling and 
and just caught up to me in a wave. And it was in that moment where I was like, man, I cannot keep going at that pace. I cannot keep doing that. And I feel like the Lord just, it was almost like a conversion moment. It was like, oh, now I'm saved, I think. <laughs> Seven years into pastoring a church. Oh, okay, there you are, Jesus. <laughs> and, and I feel like the Lord led me to this passage of scripture in that season. It was one of them that I held very dear and just reminded me of my position and, and who I really am. And it's in, it's in the the crucifixion narrative that we usually celebrate around Easter time. It's Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to read some verses for us. I'm going to start reading in verse 18. I know I started you guys at 13, but tricked you. We're going to go at 18. Luke 23, 18, Scripture says this, that they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Now they was a crowd of people who had gathered outside of uh, the, the, uh, the balcony of a man named Pontius Pilate. And I'm not patronizing you, but in case you don't know the story, there's some key players. There's this guy, Pontius Pilate, who's the governor uh, of the area where Jesus is about to be crucified. And the group of people are Jews who were Jesus's people. And so this is during Jesus's trial. And Pontius Pilate, he was a dude who was just like, he's just trying to get a promotion it's like a random Friday for him. You know, we forget that. Like he showed up to work on Friday just to try and keep his nose down, make sure his boss didn't get mad at him. Pontius Pilate used to be in Rome and his boss got mad at him and sent him out to this throwaway part of the world and he's just trying to survive so he can get back to Rome. So he shows up on Friday to work and Friday afternoon like there's this near riot and he's trying to figure out what to do because he knows he's going to get an email from his boss like, yo, what's going on in Jerusalem? What's your problem? I put you there to just keep everybody calm. So that's where Pontius Pilate is at. Like let's not over-spiritualize the moment. Like he shows up to work on Friday and you ever showed up to work on Friday and it's like a mess? You're like, why couldn't this happen on Monday? At least give me some days to work on this. I got to think about it over the weekend. I can't have fun with the boys because I'm just thinking about what happened on Friday. That's where Pontius Pilate is at. And so he's like, man, he has a tradition where during the Passover, he would release a prisoner that was on death row to try and appease the people. And so he's like, I got Jesus, and then he's got this other guy named Barabbas. And they all cried out together, this group of people. Pontius Pilate is like, which one do you want me to release? And they all cried together, away with this man, away with Jesus, and release to us Barabbas. And verse 19 says, he's a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. This dude is a murderer, an insurrectionist. He's literally trying to overthrow the government. Standing up there next to Jesus. And so Pilate addressed them once more because he, Scripture says he desired to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time Pontius Pilate says, why? And if you're taking notes or you highlight in your Bible or you got version open, I just, I have this highlighted in my Bible. He says, he says, why? What evil has he done? What evil has he done? 
I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. Scripture says, but they were urgent. They were demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided, check this, that their demand should be granted. So he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to whose will? To their will. This is, this is pure insanity. I don't know if you interact with scripture the way I do, but like I got friends who when they watch movies, they like yell at the screen, like, like talking to the characters like, don't go in there! You're like, you know this already happened, right? Like they already filmed this. You're not gonna change his mind. Like he's not gonna be like, great point, guy in the third row. Like sometimes I interact with scripture that same way. And and I'm like, every time I read this passage of scripture, I'm trying to find out, like, why Jesus was silent. Like, why didn't he say something? How about this? Where, where are the disciples? Why are they not saying something? It's like, this is crazy, man. This, this has gone way too far. Like, I get it, Jesus, you're doing the thing, and, you're, and you said that you were going to tear down the temple, and we're, we weren't quite sure what that meant, and, and, and you're on your way, and I know you got a plan, but, like, somebody's got to stop this, because this is crazy. Like, release somebody else. Do not release Barabbas. The only person that Jesus has defending him is Pontius Pilate. Like, the guy who has the power to kill him, and here's Pontius Pilate on this stage, and he does not know the stage that he is standing on, a stage for all eternity. Like, like he's literally got the life of the Son of God in his hands. And what we know about a conversation that took place earlier is Pontius Pilate is asking him questions like, who are you? Where are you from? Are you a king? Like, he's trying to process what's going on. And every time I read this passage of scripture, I'm just like, Jesus, why didn't, why didn't you say something? And so I imagine them coming up and they're taking the shackles off of Barabbas and he's, he's walking down off the balcony into the people, like dapping up his boys and like, can you guys believe, can, like what is happening? Can you guys believe this? And they're like, man, I can't believe you're free. And you're saying, we have no indication that, that, that Barabbas ever said thank you. Like usually when we tell stories like this from the pulpit, it's like there was this amazing moment and God moved and Barabbas went from being an insurrectionist and a murderer to filling amphitheaters all through the world and preaching the gospel. Doesn't say that. Barabbas disappears into the ether of history. And it feels like, like why, God, why, why is Barabbas in Scripture? Why, why is Barabbas here? Why is Barabbas a person? Why is Barabbas a thing? Why did you feel it necessary to tell us the story of Barabbas? 
And I remember in that season just reading through this and I felt God just say to me, oh, that's easy. Because, because you're Barabbas. And as I'm sitting there trying to process, like, I'm Barabbas. Like, what are you talking about? It starts to click and make sense why, why Jesus didn't say anything. Because, because Jesus was up there to die for Barabbas. Like Jesus loved Barabbas. And in that moment where he had the, the ability to call down fire from heaven, to just toast everybody in the place, to prove a point about how holy he is and how he's God and everybody got it wrong and everybody that's saying all this stuff about him, Jesus is just silent standing there in the shackles as Barabbas is set free and Barabbas is released. And I don't know about you, but I would bet that your resume isn't nearly as bad as Barabbas. I, I would bet that on, that on your rap sheet is not like overthrew, tried to overthrow the government. Like maybe murder's on there, but I don't, I don't know about overthrowing the government. And it's a deep understanding of your need for the grace of God at work in your life that, that keeps this fire burning. So, so here's what I try to do. Why am I talking about this? Because here's what I found myself trying to do is as I see myself like Barabbas, like, like coming down off of that, like, like I am the one who deserved the cross. Like Barabbas is the one who deserved to die. Barabbas is the one who deserved to pay for his sins. Yet here is Jesus silently releasing him into freedom. And it doesn't make sense. And here I am, Barabbas, walking off of this platform being like, this doesn't make sense and knowing how much Jesus has done for me, I don't feel like I'm worthy to step off of that platform. I don't feel like I'm worthy of all of the freedom that he's given me. I don't feel like I'm worthy to receive the grace because I know what a dirtbag I am on the inside. And I know what's in my heart, what's in my heart, and I know what's in my mind. And I know the things that I think when somebody says something. And I know the things that I think when people cut me off in traffic. I know the things that I think about people when, when they say things that I don't like. And, I know the thoughts that I have that I shouldn't have and the habits that I have that I shouldn't have and the propensity toward particular sins that I have that I shouldn't have and I wish that I didn't have. And so I start weighing myself and my worth against Jesus's. And here's what I find myself doing. I find myself trying to crawl back up onto that platform and like put the shackles back on and be like, Jesus, just let me feel it just a little bit. Like, just, just I, I don't deserve to go free, so let me just feel the pain just, just a little bit. Like, let me, let me get a little taste of the punishment. And every time I start to do that, I just feel Jesus being like, please, for the love of God, do not climb back up onto this platform. You know what you do not have? You don't have the willpower to overcome your sin. 
You don't have the discipline. You're no match for your sin. It's why Jesus had to stand on that platform. Because him and only him could be a match for that sin. You, you don't have the ability to create the fresh church that you see in your heart and in your mind. Stop trying to climb back up on that platform and make it happen. You can't overcome the, the sexual sin that's rampant in your life. You can't overcome the addictions that you have. You can't do that. So, so here's what we do. We suffer in silence because we feel like we deserve to feel a little bit of the pain. So we don't say anything about it. We just climb back up onto the platform. We fall back into it, and then we go, Jesus, I'm sorry, and we climb back up onto that platform, and I see Jesus as, as he's walking off of that platform and as he's walking over to, to, to get whipped and to get punched, and I'm like, Jesus, no, like, don't, you can't go over there. Please don't do that for me again, and I hear Jesus saying, just go free. Just like go, but Jesus, what if I do it again? He's like, I'll still be here. I'm like, but just let me feel it just a little bit. And he's like, no, just go, just go, just live your life. And you're like, we, we fall into this thing of feeling like Jesus saved us because he felt like it was a good investment. And, and like he went onto the cross for me because, may, because he was hoping he would get a return on his investment. So then when we feel like we're not giving him a good return on his investment, we try and like sell ourselves back. Like, like Jesus, it was, it's been a bad investment. I've wrecked every opportunity that you've given me. God, God, you gave me a fantastic marriage and I blew it. And, and, and so then I gave it another world and I blew it again. God, my kids are a train wreck. And, and so, so, so we come in on weekends, and, we, and maybe we even were brave enough to go to a group where we kind of sit back on the margins because what we feel like on the inside is that, is that we're, not, we're not making God his money back. We're, we are not making God his investment back, so why would he continue to invest in us? But you know one of the things I love about Barabbas is that he disappears And I feel like through that, through that silence of the rest of his story, God is screaming to you. I didn't set you free because I was, I was trying to get a return on my investment. You know what Galatians says? You know why God sets you free? Not so that you could be the next great evangelist, not so you could be the next great worship leader. You know why God sets you free? Galatians says this, for freedom you have been set free. Ponder that for a second. What I wish is that Galatians said, I was set free so that God could get his investment back. Because then that, that gives me, I'm like a doer. We have any doers in the room? Just like executors and grinders and like. I wish Galatians said that God set you free so, so he could get a return on his investment. Because I'm like, yeah, I can do something. 
But here's the scandalous nature of what Jesus did is said he set you free so that you could be free. Whether you ever did anything for God or not, whether you ever got your life together or not, whether you ever reached some some level and some, some idea of what you feel like somebody who is worthy of God's grace looks like, whether you ever get there or not, Jesus, I feel like he would be saying to you today, just go. Just be free. But Jesus, why? Because I love you. But what if I mess it up? I'll, st- I'll still be here. I'll still love you. But God, what if what I've never become? And what if this? And what if, and what if I just go back to the same exact thing? And he's like, Here's my prayer for you is that you would never try to climb back up on this platform ever again. And the most difficult part of your walk with God, here I'm about to tell you, is not going to be developing discipline. It's going to be accepting the gospel. You can develop all the discipline in the world, and I'm all for discipline. I'm for healthy habits. Scripture tells us to live a life worthy of the high call of God that's been placed on us. So I'm not saying, Scripture, the Apostle Paul asked the question, so do we use grace as an occasion to sin? He's like, by no means. But here's what I am saying. And what I feel like the story of Barabbas screams and, and what I needed to hear when I was in my grind, get everything done season. Is that Jesus was just like, I set you free so you could be free. Not so you could build the next great church. Not so that you could write the book that changed it all. Not so that you could release the album. Here's the thing about it. God's not impressed by your albums. Like, they bless him, but they don't impress him. Like, when we get to heaven, God's not going to be like, wow, we, we, that was a heater. We, we, that thing was on repeat in heaven for like a month. And I'm not saying that to say don't write an album. I'm saying if, you write it, if, you, if you're making the album, remember, it blesses God, but it doesn't impress him. And if you never wrote an album, if you never wrote a book, if you never, ever, ever got your life together, God loves you more than you could ever imagine. Like you have never met a person that God is not head over heels, 14-year-old girl on Snapchat in love with. Like he's just madly and desperately in love with you. And he set you free, not so that you could be the next great performer, the next great weapon in the kingdom. I pray that everyone in this room is a weapon for the kingdom. But that's not why he set you free. He set you free so you could be free. developing discipline and healthy habits and good reading is that's not going to be the most difficult part of your walk with God I promise you it's going to be accepting the gospel it's going to be accepting the fact that God set you free so that you could be free and I tell you what if you can build your life on the foundation not of your rhythms and disciplines those are helpful but the solid rock of the grace the stunningly scandalous grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
you will be on fire on the inside. This will be a church on fire. If you can help connect people to the Jesus standing on the balcony saying, hey, you, go free. Go free. I got this one. I'll take it. You won't be able, this, this, this building won't be big enough. And your living room won't be big enough for your groups. And so I pray. God, I've done everything that I can to communicate what I feel like you put on my heart here for these people, to just give them that breath. But Holy Spirit, you need to do what only you can do. I'm just the man. And you need to do what only you can do, which is to sow this word deep into our hearts. God, your word is powerful, incorruptible seed. Your word tells us about itself and about who you are. God, that it is so exact, this word is so exact that it's able, it's able to even differentiate between like bone and marrow. It is surgical in nature. And God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that this word would be that surgical in nature for every person sitting under its proclamation. God, anything that is been of me and not of you, would you just burn it away like wood or straw? But God, everything that's of you that you had here this morning for Fresh Church, sow it into their hearts. God, I'm thankful for every person in this room. Wherever they're at in their walk with you, Holy Spirit, that they have encountered you here today and that they leave this place different than when they came in. We love you so much, God.